Hello and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. Here, we believe success is inevitable and everything is possible. On each episode, we get real about the entrepreneurial journey and look at what it means to lean into your intuition, feel in alignment with your business, have coffee with resistance, and trust in abundance. We answer the tough questions. How can we show up authentically in business, with integrity in relationships, deeply seeking in our spiritual practice, and with grace in motherhood and beyond? This podcast celebrates the anti-hustle, healing from toxic productivity, prioritizing rest, and discovering tools that will support both your healing and business growth journeys. Your time and energy are precious resources, so thank you for being here. Your presence is a gift, and your business is thanking you. Get ready to get real, get honest, and Hey guys, and welcome back to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma, and today, as always, is a very timely and sacred episode for me to record, and I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest. She fell into my life at the absolute perfect time, and I can't wait to share more of that story today with you. But first, to introduce Allegra Castens, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and founder for the Center for OCD, Anxiety, and Eating Disorders. Fueled by her own life experience with OCD and eating disorders, education and advocacy are at the forefront of her career. She writes for Psychology Today, Very Well Mind, and other publications, and is a content creator and a must-follow on Instagram at Allegra Castens. I'm so excited to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I wanted to have you here today because you came into my life at the most perfect time. I was following a mutual friend of ours, and I often resonate with a lot of what Haley posts. And when she posts about OCD, it was one area that I feel maybe I was blocked now looking back. But for whatever reason, she posted you and promoted something about you, and it was just a straight yes in every part of my being. And I began following you pretty religiously, as one does. I have a lot of planets in Gemini and have been recently (laughs) diagnosed with OCD. So obviously, I went down the rabbit hole and was just so stoked to have you as a resource And unbeknownst to me, one week later, my therapist had diagnosed me with postpartum OCD. And I feel if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have had any tools for somebody that is so quote unquote, like educated around mental health. I feel this diagnosis like a fish out of water. And it's been very humbling. And learning from you has been so healing because all of these myths that you had like just debunked for me over the last week became like my life overnight. And so perfect timing as always. And I wanted to use this podcast as a way to share not only my journey and sort of story the past few months experiencing this diagnosis and sort of sitting with it because I cannot express how seen I feel by you and by this diagnosis, because for me, naming it is the first piece to really healing it, becoming aware of it. And as soon as my therapist said that, it was like, ding, 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 ding. Like, 
everything lit up and pointed to you. So that's how I want to enter this from my side. I would love for you to share from your side before we dive in any context from your journey, from your story, what you're doing now that feels really relevant and important to share before we get deeper. Definitely. So I live with OCD myself. That is really what brought me into this field as a therapist and an advocate. And my journey with OCD, like at least the onset of it was so sudden. I was 19 years old and I had this one terrifying intrusive thought. And that like what I say is it broke my brain. At 19 years old, I went from being someone who had never had scary thoughts about kids ever. I loved kids. I adored kids. I've always known that I was born to be a mom. And in that second, I had one thought and that was like the end of my life. But I had no idea that what I was experiencing was OCD because of everything that we hear about OCD. It's all about handwashing and you like to organize. And I just thought I was a monster. I thought I was a predator because my brain kept producing the scariest thought on repeat over and over and over again. And I went for, I think it was about 14 months undiagnosed, which was like the worst 14 months of my life, thinking that I was this terrible person. And even when I got a diagnosis, I still didn't believe that I was living with OCD because it felt so opposite to what we hear about OCD. And like mine was the most taboo kind, like it could not get more taboo than the thoughts that I was having. And that felt even more shameful for me. And so that whole experience over five years really catapulted me into like switching careers from a publicist to a therapist. And it's just built this, I guess, life for me. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that's one thing I really want to dive into is just the total stigma and stereotypes and all of this misunderstood myths around OCD. It's like, couldn't be farther from the truth. And that was one of my biggest like, aha moments when I found you is like, oh, this is what OCD is. Like, it was like a total reframe in my mind that came one week before I was told that's exactly what I was experiencing. And everything you post, obviously, as somebody and just having these experiences feels so in resonance and it makes me feel so safe because the thoughts are so scary. And I had no idea. It was like a light bulb went off because I, the other thing I wanted to speak to is really the difference between anxiety and depression and like standard talk therapy versus like an OCD diagnosis on top of that. Because I think for me, it was like, oh, this is just anxiety for so long. Oh, these intrusive thoughts are just anxiety. The ruminating is just anxiety. The behaviors of whatever rabbit hole I'm going, this is just anxiety. But the truth is OCD has a whole new sort of mind of its own and treatment that can be very different and the opposite of talk therapy in many ways. And so I would love before we dive deeper into anything to just define what it means, like what is OCD and how do you define it? And what are we talking about right now when we're saying this? Great question. What is actual OCD? <laughs> yes, I will give you scientific and then I'll give you how I just describe it in kind of layman's terms. So diagnostically speaking, it's a mental health condition. It's not an adjective. A lot of people think it's like a personality quirk. So it's a mental health condition that is comprised of two different things. The first is obsessions 
when you think about obsession, we often think about like, I'm obsessed with Harry Styles. It's not that kind of obsession. An obsession is not something that a person loves. It is a repetitive, unwanted thought that just keeps popping into a person's mind. It's distressing. It's ego dystonic, which means it's opposite to a person's values. And you just keep having that same terrifying thought over and over and over again. That is so anxiety provoking. And the person with OCD feels the urge to perform a compulsion, which is a physical or mental act that a person carries out to try to alleviate anxiety, to prevent something bad from happening, to like according to like rules or rituals. And these obsessions and compulsions are time consuming. They take up at least an hour of a person's day and they impair their functioning. Like we all as human beings get the passing unwanted thought. Like everyone, I can guarantee anyone who is listening to this podcast has had the like, what if I just push that person in front of a bus? But for someone without OCD, it passes for them. For someone with OCD, the brain is wired differently and it sticks and it is all consuming. So that's kind of the diagnostic criteria for OCD. How I describe it to people is like, imagine the worst thing you'd ever want to think about. Like, what if I had sex with a child? What if I took this knife and stabbed my husband? And imagine that thought playing constantly in your mind. Imagine the dread, the full body terror that comes with that thought. Imagine feeling the urge to do something to get rid of it and to eliminate that anxiety all day long. That is OCD. Thank you. And that being said, I think the biggest thing that just popped up for me is something that you recently posted about. And I am very much in like the spiritual community. I am a Reiki master. I am a microdose practitioner. And in this community, there's a lot of talk around manifestation. I talk a lot about manifestation. And so I want to just talk about this caveat because you recently posted about this and it really like, I like let go of the thought and the idea with manifestation is your thoughts become things, right? And I talk about this all the time. Thoughts are things. So now here's somebody having like the scariest, most unwanted thoughts, taking behavior actions that aren't normal, like OCD, like I'm doing OCD because it's like what I thought in my head was like a compulsive behavior. And it's just been pointed out to me. So obviously what compulsive behaviors actually look like. And my fear right off the bat was I'm going to manifest this to happen. And I would love for you to just talk to that and debunk that because I think we're trying to spiritually bypass. We're in a mental health crisis, which I want to talk about. But specifically with OCD, it's such a specific experience that somebody's having And for me, it was heightened because I was mad at myself that I couldn't control the thoughts that were going to then lead to the thing. So I would just love to unpack that a little deeper because I think this is so just important for anyone with mental health stuff going on, thinking that we have that power or some sort of, you know what I mean? And I'm wondering what your experience with that is. That is so important. And it's something so many of my clients worry about, you know, well, I'm having these really scary thoughts that are ultimately out of my control. That's what OCD is. You're not choosing to have the intrusive thoughts. And again, they're ego dystonic. So they're opposite to a person's values and self-concept, 
we're not choosing this. But even if you were to choose it, like we know with OCD that sometimes people perform mental compulsions where they'll imagine carrying out a scary scenario in their head to make sure that they don't like it. My clients will say, well, this wasn't just an intrusive thought. I brought it on as a compulsion to check. I must be manifesting it. And it doesn't work like that. That is something called magical thinking where our thoughts we think can just create something to happen. And it does not work like that. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, believe in spirituality or think that like there is power in positive thinking, but having an unwanted thought or even saying I want to win a million dollars is not just going to like have a million dollars plop down onto this couch. I think with manifesting, a lot of people miss the, like, you actually have to have guided and dedicated action to pursue the thing that you want. When it comes to anxiety and OCD and depression and eating disorders, you don't want to be having the thoughts that you're having. It's like the exact opposite of trying to put something out into the world. And like thoughts are words in your mind. That's really all that they are. I know some people believe differently, but I could say right now, the sky is green. It doesn't mean that the sky is green. I could say, I want to win $5 million. It doesn't mean that that's sitting in my bank account now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a hard one for me because up until a few months ago, I was, and promoting too in my business and in my work, a lot of like intuition guided thinking or intuition guided experiences. And one thing that I've realized or that's become real for me very recently since having postpartum depression turn into like a massive like wave of this OC. I mean, it just, it happened from, for some more context, I did speak to this on the pod, but I weaned from breastfeeding at around six months. So I experienced no postpartum OCD. I have anxiety. I stayed on Lexapro my whole pregnancy. I went down back up right in time and had an amazing like fourth trimester. And then as soon as I started weaning, starting with dropping just one feed, it was like the darkest wave of my life washed over me. And this was at six months postpartum. So it wasn't like a normal postpartum experience. And I was flailing and in such a bad way. I mean, my work, everything came to a halt. And it was the OCD, I think, that really put me over the edge, but I had no idea that's what it was. And they call it the weaning fog. And I've done research now, and so many women have had this experience when they wean of having an onset of postpartum OCD wow. with like very little support. And that's something that I also wanted to name is I was like you, all of a sudden, there was the, th like, it was just overnight. And I found a therapist right away. Thankfully, she named it right away, gave me other resources right away. I'm so privileged with the access that I have and the knowledge that I had to be able to take action. But I think one area where I sort of froze was one around my intuition. And I would love for you to speak to that. And two, I said this to my therapist recently when we were talking about my OCD and reassurance seeking and certain behaviors that I exhibit, I sort of was like, have I built an entire business and all of my success based on my mental illness? 
and has that enabled everything? And so it's got all these layers when we find out as adults, right? It's like shattering in many ways who I thought that I was. And my intuition was really a great tool until the OCD started to present itself. So I would love you to just speak to that suddenness of like, you know, having a way of seeing the world or listening to my intuition and promoting that and now being like, what's real and how we can care for ourselves in that process of when you first get the diagnosis. Definitely. So intuition is really tough when it comes to living with OCD. People often say, just trust your gut, trust your intuition. But what's happening is your gut is lying to you. People with OCD are getting ultimately false alarm signals from the brain that are telling them this is dangerous, you're in danger, when danger isn't actually present. So we can't trust our feelings a lot of the time when it comes to OCD because it feels dangerous. It feels real, even though it's the opposite of what it is that you value. So instead of looking at you know gut feelings and intuition, I work with my clients on values. What are your values? That's what we're going to let guide these decisions because we just can't trust our gut when we're at like a 12 out of 10 anxiety. It doesn't work that way. And then you add the piece of OCD being a doubting disorder on top of that, right? So trust your intuition. Well, I think this is my intuition, but what if it's not my intuition and you go into a spiral of compulsions and you get even more confused? Yeah. Can we talk more about the values in that practice? Definitely. It's really like values-based living. So for me, I have always wanted to be a mom and my OCD attacked. I mean, I got sexual thoughts about literally everyone. It was so horrifying, but like unwanted sexual thoughts about kids is like the worst thing in the world to experience. And if I were to listen to that and let that lead my life, I wouldn't have kids. I wouldn't do the things that I want to do in life. So instead of looking at like, what does this feel like internally? Do I feel like I could be this person looking at what are my values? Well, I know that my values are that I want to be a mom and that I love kids and that's what's going to make those decisions for me. And it doesn't mean that with OCD, we don't get to know who we are. We absolutely do. But a lot of the time, OCD is lying to us and it makes it confusing. I just feel like I just had such a little epiphany there, especially because when for so much of my life, my intuition was there for me and it was a tool that I could access. But in the last few months, realizing I can't trust myself Mm -hmm. and my mind and finding those practices and those new tools like value-based thinking has been really supportive. And I think too, just speaking more to the taboo side of things and the fear and the one thing I was doing, a behavior I was doing, which is she thanked me for telling her because I think the other piece is being honest with our therapists and I just recently started talk therapy right when this whole postpartum depression thing started. And I said to her, she's like, well, what are you looking for in a therapist? And I said, somebody that's smarter than I am. Because I don't want to like take you for a ride. I don't want you to be charmed by me. You know, I want you to see what's really going on here because it's actually not charming. And that willingness to be honest and like actually tell the truth. I asked a friend who had been in therapy. She's such a mental health advocate. You know, what's your advice for therapy? And she said, 
tell the actual truth, like actually tell the truth. And so that was my intention because I'm used to being on in a really honest way, but in a way that still is in service to my customer or my audience. And so the idea of being a mess and and not having a packaged answer post breakdown, right? Being in the limbo has felt really hard for me. And the truth and the first honest thought I told her was when the OCD came up and I was like, well, I do this thing and I, I obsess on social media over widows and widowers, like young widows and widowers. And I just get like, I can't stop reading their story. I can't like the trauma of it and living it and living it and living it and living it. So something happening to my partner since having a baby has just like shot me down this rabbit hole of he's dead for sure. And to me, that was just anxiety. And she goes, okay, well, I want to put a pin in that because that's OCD behavior. And then the first moment she said it, it was like the alarm bells went off because I had just started following you. And I was like, that's OCD behavior. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, now what? (laughs) And so my first you know, advice for you listening is when you are being supported in therapy or by a life coach or by whoever you're trusting to hold the space, actually telling the truth is a really big piece of getting to the bottom of it. And if you have a taboo obsession or compulsion, that must be just so painful. Because what I was doing was more like weird, you know, and embarrassed and kind of like, well, I've been doing this weird thing. But I mean, that's nothing compared to what some people are experiencing. And I want to talk to that. I have such a special place in my heart for people who experience the really taboo obsessions. And when I'm talking taboo, I mean, like unwanted sexual thoughts about kids and family members and animals, violent, intrusive thoughts cannibalistic, necrophilia, like people really get those kinds of thoughts on repeat. And where it becomes more difficult when someone is accessing care is they often think, if I say this to my therapist, they are going to report me because therapists are mandated reporters. What they're not understanding is like therapists have to report if a thought is egocentric. If a client comes in and says, I want to do this thing, I'm going to enjoy doing it and I have a plan to do it, which is the exact opposite for someone, someone with OCD is coming in and saying, this is the scariest thought I've ever had in my life. I threw away all my knives. I never want to leave my bedroom again. Like it's the exact opposite of someone who would want to carry this out, but it's terrifying to voice that to a therapist. And just in reality, there are therapists who don't understand. There are therapists who wrongly hospitalize their clients for suicidal obsessions. There are therapists who don't understand unwanted sexual obsessions about kids. Like that just is the reality. And that adds such a barrier for people who are experiencing the more taboo obsessions. It is so much more difficult to access care and to be honest. It just is. And that's where I think like all OCD obsessions were not created equally. If you go in and you say, I'm so afraid of, you know, if I touch this door handle, my dad's going to get cancer. Like your therapist is not going to think, are you a predator? it feels so much scarier to go in and say, I can't stop thinking about having sex with my mom and it's horrifying to me. How does that feel 
to have people on both ends, like as somebody that is experiencing those thoughts and as somebody who's holding space for that, it must feel like so safe to be able to say, yeah, it feels so safe. It really does. And I mean, I feel like most of the time, I don't know, I guess you've given me something so wonderful. So I'll share with you. I have a literary agent. My book proposal is basically ready. We're supposed to go out to publishers and there is still something stopping me. And that thing that is stopping me is like shame and stigma. It's like, if I write this book and a lot of people read it, and I hope they do because I want to help people, what is the world going to think of me? And like, that is just the barrier that people with taboo themes face. So I do feel super safe with my clients, but then like the rest of the world is not, you know, made up of people with OCD or my clients or people who know me. And that's also really scary. It's like, of course, the OCD community is wonderful, but the world is not the OCD community. And we have so much work left to do in educating and advocating. So I've like still been on the fence and I pray my agent does not hear this. <laughs> I have been still so on the fence about like, what do I do? Because I just, I'm still afraid of what people will think. Yeah. You know, I think I have so much to say about that just from like, I follow you and, you know, it's hard to not take off the marketing hat, but in terms of following you and hearing you share and speak to taboo OCD and all of that before it was even a part of my wheelhouse of like, this is something I might be struggling with. I still felt like re-educated and pivoted. Like there was like a massive pivot when I found your work. And I think that for the people that are loving, supporting, caring for people with OCD and for people with OCD, it's a new language, what you're offering. And so I know that that can feel really scary, but like, what's the alternative? And it's not having these conversations. And I think even seeing you stand up and say, these are my themes, this is what I'm dealing with, just made me feel so safe to be like, yeah, that was really fun. Like what I'm sharing with you, that was just the first pin in the, you know, the first drop in the bucket where my therapist was just like, hmm, let's, let's hold that thought there. Keep going. But that's OCD behavior. And around and around, you know, and then down and down we go. But I think that, yeah, the taboo themes and helping people understand mental illness and how to support people with OCD, I think is also a big piece of it because oftentimes what we think is supportive is actually enabling. And so that's what I found is it's not intuitive. <laughs> it's like the two things that I'm struggling with right now are sleep training my child and supporting myself and getting the right help around OCD. Both things are the most, they're the most counterintuitive <laughs> experiences because with sleep training as a mom, you're like primally, you hear them cry. It's like this primal response to care for them, even though logically it's their only way to express themselves. It's okay. You know? And so it's this like battle I'm having on this side of my life. And then with OCD, I said to my therapist one day, well, how would my husband be able to support me without enabling that thought? And when she said it, I was like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> like it was, it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I think that's a big 
a big topic is how do we support people when we don't really know that much about OCD, but we have a friend or a loved one who has been diagnosed or is struggling, how we can start to care for, educate ourselves and join that conversation. I love educational materials. That's like my first step with clients. If they have a partner that they want to share this with or a family member, I'll say, can we like find some really great articles online by established therapists and clinicians, give those to that person and then let them read, let them digest, let them take in that education. And then for the person who's on the receiving end of it, like digest that information, process it without judgment. I mean, obviously we can't control judgment, but when you're speaking to the person with OCD, like try not to have any judgment and really just show up for them in a way that supports them and show up for them in a way that is not compulsive, which obviously a lot of people don't know about. They think I'm just going to reassure my friend that they didn't hit someone with their car, but that reassurance is the compulsion that reassurance keeps them stuck. So it's also the person with OCD gaining that knowledge and educating the person that they're having support them, like this actually is keeping me stuck. This is not helping me, even though it seems like that reassurance would be the thing to help. Totally. That's the thing. And I think if somebody's in a position where they were recently diagnosed with this, one, to have to process and educate themselves, but two, to have to process and educate those around them, it's a lot of emotional labor that we're asking somebody that's like mentally unwell to take on. It's a really hard disease. And it's it's tough because there's a lot of misconceptions. I think with other things going on for people, even like anxiety or a panic attack, there's like something easier to grasp about that. Like, and to support with, oh, you know, I had a panic attack and she had a panic attack and this to show up for somebody. But for whatever reason, just the energy around OCD feels different and it feels heavier and it feels harder in many ways. And I think this advocacy and education is a huge piece of this. And until I found you, I just wasn't really seeing it. So where do you send people? Like, what are your favorite resources? Where are you learning? Where are people like, where do you go for inspiration, education and insight for mental health, for OCD specifically? Such a great question. I love, um, there are certain therapists who I really love, like John Hirschfield is really great. Anything that he's written, his books, articles online. There are other podcasts like the OCD Stories that is wonderful. Mm -hmm. The IOCDF, the International OCD Foundation has a website with so much information. Made of Millions is a great foundation. So usually just really credible sources and stuff written by OCD therapists. And there's also some mm-hmm. great stuff on social media by advocates and people with lived experience. Instagram is a great mm-hmm. place to learn a lot about OCD, as is TikTok. Obviously, making sure that the person who's talking about it is educated, because sometimes on TikTok, we still see the, I have to put mm-hmm. this in my dishwasher, like I have OCD, and that's just not what it is. And then I'll say this book was the first book I read from someone with lived experience about OCD, like my essentially same obsessions changed my life pure by Rose Cartwright, Rose Brecher. It's an HBO mini series and it just made me feel so seen. So I would say for people with OCD, like also find things written by people with lived experience. Yeah, that's so helpful. I think feeling not alone has been 
just one of the biggest parts and group therapy and group experience, hearing other people's stories. It just is so validating and feeling like you're not crazy. You're not a monster. And that's really my message that I want to share for people listening to this that are experiencing mental health stuff, specifically OCD, specifically intrusive thoughts and obsessions. You're not alone. Mm -mm. And we're all so unwell. Literally. Literally. This is my biggest takeaway right now. Also from being so like I'm on a mission right now to heal in a lot of ways, um, especially with mental health. And so it's a full-time job. And what I'm realizing, I mean, regulating my nervous system is a full-time job on a regular basis. And what I'm realizing is I am somebody who is on 20 milligrams of Lexpro. I have a great therapist, a great acupuncturist. I am so privileged in every sense of the word and yet I am still so unwell. And how unwell must everyone else be? Like, that's my biggest thing right now is I have such different experiences and dramas and dynamics like we all do going on in our lives. And the undercurrent of everything right now for me is mental health. Like, how are we supposed to have a conversation about improving your productivity when you're like suffering from crippling anxiety and we're not talking about it. And so this is the last thing I wanted to talk about with you as a professional in the space, in the industry that is actually doing this day in and day out. What are we facing right now in terms of mental health, in terms of where we're going and how we advocate, educate, all of this stuff? Because it feels like, it feels really the opposite of hopeful when I start to actually process and think about how unwell we are as a society collective and what we can do about it. It feels big. It feels scary. And what people are carrying and walking around with feels really heavy, especially post-COVID. So I was wondering if you could speak to the landscape that you're seeing, the uptick since covid what's happening, and what we can really do to take care of ourselves, each other, our community, and speak openly to the fact that we are all struggling. Definitely. And I think you're really right, especially after COVID. I think there was an uptick in mental health conditions for quite a few people. And I think what happened during COVID especially is like people really took to TikTok and to Instagram and like millennials and Gen Z are really talking about mental health now in ways that other generations didn't. And it's becoming less stigmatized. It doesn't mean that it's any less prevalent. It is more prevalent than ever. But like the one thing that I like, the one seed that I'm holding on to is that our generations really are starting to talk about things that are taboo, things that other generations never would have touched with a 10 foot pole. If you see like on, you know, Instagram and TikTok and even dating apps, a lot of people will say like, I want my partner in therapy. A green flag for me is going to therapy. So I think we've had growth in that area, but I think that in our country, especially it is so difficult to access mental health care. It is so fucking expensive. Insurance like never covers anything. I'm paying an like outrageous amount for health insurance. And it is like the bottom plan, like literally covers nothing. It's like Metro Plus. It's horrific. And 
I just can't even, I'm so grateful that I can afford it. Like you said, I'm in a financially privileged place to not have health insurance, to not be able to access like psychiatry, to get meds, to not be able to access therapy. Like that is happening and it's happening disproportionately for like people of color. I mean, we Mm -hmm. definitely are in a mental health crisis and millennials and Gen Z is talking about it is incredible, but it's certainly not enough. Yeah, I totally agree. I love Gen Z. I think they're going to heal the world. I have a lot of hope. Like they're so tapped in. They're so tuned down. They're so fluid in just a way with themselves, with gender, with technology. I mean, it's like all one. And from a spiritual place, I see so much hope there. And thank you for saying that because I think that's the biggest thing is people have been suffering from different mental illnesses for a long time, but now we're talking about it. And so it's like, okay, now it's up for discussion. Now it's on the table and you're safe here and you're welcome here and you're still wanted here. And I think that can be the hardest piece, especially when depression is involved and it's the like, you know, it's just the self-deprecation. And one thing that I've been really working on in my own life is I have a really great self-care practice. And I'm saying this in air quotes because Recently, I was finding myself in the sauna having obsessive thoughts. And so it's like, here I am taking care of myself, thinking horrible things. So it's such a balance and it's such a daily practice. And what you've given me and what therapy has given me and my access and my privilege is education and naming it. And I think for the first time when I was 19 is when someone, a therapist said, you have one of the worst cases of free-floating anxiety I've ever seen. And it was like, wait, this isn't how everyone thinks? Like, this is something to work on? To Like, this isn't, it doesn't have to be this way. And I think we get so used to the suffering and so I don't know, familiar with it, that when I'm not spinning, it's uncomfortable. Amen. I find that so often for people with OCD, especially when they start to recover. It's like, wait, I almost feel uncomfortable not having as many loud, 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 loud obsessions because that's how I've lived forever. Like this feels so odd to me, even though it's what I wanted. Yeah. There's just a lot of education that has to happen. And it's why I wanted to share you on this platform, because I think what your niche is, is very important and very specific. And I love everything about what you're doing. And I'm loving that you've like niched in here, because this is a huge topic. And everything you post is so potent. And so I just really invite for anybody that's listening to this, and this has peaked something in you, that was my prayer. That was my hope that you don't feel alone, that you can feel a sense of permission to be who you are and seek the support that you need. And that's my last question for you is like really what your prayer is, what your mission is right now in terms of people who find you. So whether they find you on social, whether they read your book in five years, like what is it that you want them to walk away with? What is your prayer for your, the people that you're serving and creating for? I would say first and foremost, your thoughts do not define you. Your thoughts don't make you a monster. They don't make you bad. Like I really want people to see that. 
to drop the shame to the best of their ability and to really feel less alone. OCD can be one of the most isolating mental health conditions, especially when your obsessions are taboo. So I just want people to have a community, to know that they're not alone, and to know that there is nothing bad, wrong, or defective about them. These thoughts say nothing about their character. Thank you so much. And where can people find you, learn more? What feels exciting? Where are you leaning in? What's you know, what's coming for you in the next few months, few weeks. So I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Allegra Castins. I also just started a podcast with my co-host, Erin. It's called Sad Girls Who Read. So we read one, a book once a week and then we review it, which is amazing. We're actually doing- Once a week, you read a whole book? It's so hard. Yes. And sometimes we've done like an 800 pager and it was wild. I have to listen. No, and this is so amazing. great. Yeah. And we're doing Haley's book this week. So I'm so excited about that. And I mean, ultimately, probably for me pursuing my book as difficult as it is, I go back and forth so much, but I do feel called to it. So we'll see. I feel that it's already here. And it's just a matter of like, you know, picking it up and putting it in the hands of people that you want to get it to. And I just want to applaud all that you share and all that you speak to because you have a really big platform and I can't imagine some of the messages and like trolls that find you. And so to just stay true to you in that space and like see you sharing, I just resonate so much with it. And I just want to share to you and to everyone who's listening and posting your recent like Taylor Swift journey, like spoke to my soul And I think the more we can share from our journey, like that space and like, hey, come with me and hey, you're not alone in this. It's just like how we can take care of each other. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And I hope to have you back. I I think that we just could go in so many directions. And we just met on this podcast and I'm such a fangirl. Oh my gosh, thank you. I was just going to say obsessed. (laughs) I still do it. Don't worry. I still, I'm like, oh my God. Taylor. I'm obsessed with you. I am. I'm obsessed with you in a very healthy way. <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> but thank you. And thank you for all that you do. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. And to everyone listening, this was so special. I hope you follow Allegra and just continue to support yourself and care for yourself in the ways that you need. And remember that you are not alone. Until next time, keep growing.